Hi, this is Delegate Eric Ludke, Majority Leader of the Maryland House of Delegates, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties and one of the best sources for dad jokes in the entire state of Maryland. Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson in person. Michael, we are back on Conduit Street live. We're in the building. It's exciting to be back at the, you know, the Conduit Street studios. You know, we got all the high tech equipment and all that sort of stuff. Our, our listeners will, I'm sure, appreciate the audio quality and whatnot. And I'm, I'm revved up because, you know, once I heard that COVID is canceled in Maryland and everything's back on and stuff, I mean, mm. I, I said I wanted to make these arrangements and I'm coming to town we're going to record in person and then i'm heading out to like the busiest bar i can find i'm going to go have a cheeseburger or whatever and uh you know get ready for karaoke tonight i'm i'm, I'm ready i ready feel like go. this is this is this is how this is how we're doing it now and, right? and it's Isn't a beautiful it? day yeah Thursday, oh, I mean, oh my right, gosh right, right? right. yeah this so, is not so this is not by the way this is not conduit street after dark right no, no so no. we're we're in we're in the light of day on thursday but uh so do i have, have i read the situation correctly that everything's game on and green light for COVID's over, no more masks, right? No, not exactly. (laughs) So I don't know if you'll be going to seeing karaoke. I don't know if you'll be standing around a bar. Uh, That's just not what we're doing yet. Although there are people outside eating and practicing social distancing still. You have to wear your mask. But I think karaoke is probably not on the list of things that are going to come back right now. So you might have to wait just a little bit longer. That's okay. I know you're revved up, but you could still go sit outside and read a book and have a drink. But, but, you know. Irrational exuberance. I'm sometimes guilty of that. But all right, that's fine. But 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 to be to be fair and and honestly like all joking aside the governor <laughs> did announce right that restrictions are being lifted across the states no more uh, capacity restrictions at restaurants gyms whatever it is and that did create a bit and it does create a bit of a problem for counties Michael tell us nuts and bolts about what that announcement means and then also what it means in terms of counties and the local restrictions that may be in place yeah so let's let's open with this because it is sort of the news of the day here I mean we've got other stuff to get to we promised last week we wanted to talk a little bit about the structure of the general assembly session so we'll, we'll get to that also. And then with big activity at the federal level, something that we've been pacing the floors for, I think we'll get into the, maybe the first layer right. or two of, of that. But let, let's, let's talk for a second about this, the, the, the COVID response and mostly about restrictions at the statewide level. Mm-hmm. So first of all, um, our, our loyal listeners know that, uh, I think the Conduit Street podcast is officially committed to being geeks about structure of government issues. And I am definitely always interested in this stuff. So, you know, we had interesting topics related to this pandemic. Um, you know, we had Walter Olson in mm-hmm. talking uh, from a point of view, sort of a libertarian point of view about what do these restrictions mean and where do they fit into the line between the government and society and individual freedoms and so forth. That seems like five years ago. That, that, that does, but it was. Yeah, it was back last spring, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we had 
uh, a conversation about the authority being rested in the health officer as opposed to the county government and how in Maryland that's a big distinction. Right. So we have another tricky structure of government issue that's embedded in this announcement. Um, so unravel to, I don't know, all of two days ago, which also feels like it was, uh, you know, January, right. but it really does. Um, the governor in, in his more or less weekly press event made reference to, I'm doing a new executive order and we're going to loosen a variety of these statewide restrictions. Numbers have been good. Caseloads mm-hmm. are down. You know, the arrows are trending in the right direction, which is all great news. And right. we're getting a lot of shots in arms and that itself is great news. Mm-hmm. So it's time to loosen things on a statewide basis. And, you know, have some places get back to some degree of business. Some of them limited, some of them wide open, um, all you know within some some general guidelines. And you still have to wear your mask, like the governor made clear. We're still doing that. We still right. want you to practice social distancing. But when it comes to capacity, right. we're not going to do that anymore, except for large venues, right? And that's something we'll talk about too, maybe. Right. So that so so we're not doing whatever Texas and Mississippi and some of the states that made headlines right. as like going first, but but still it's a it's a pretty aggressive move on what things might look like in Maryland going forward. Embedded in the announcement and in the actual executive order, this is a document that comes from the governor that says, I have this authority and here are the things I'm going to do. Well, when he wants to rescind things that he's issued by executive order, he needs to do so by revising them, Mm -hmm. right? It's just like you pass a bill and amend last year's bill. So this is the same sort of thing. So the new executive order had a clause that seemed to say local governments may no longer rely on the state's authority to have higher standards and more rigid restrictions. And that has been a hallmark of the Maryland approach so far is that if in your community you're not ready to move as rapidly towards our reopening plan as other parts of the state, you can slow down and react to what's on the ground there. We've appreciated that and at first plant, at first blush, it looked like that was gone. Right, because there was language in the executive order that basically said anything locally is preempted by this order. Right. And there was a lot of confusion on social media. Reporters were confused. Right. There was a lot of back and forth. But I think you've unraveled what this actually means, right? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it took a little time and this was quick work by a number of reporters who were on the Annapolis beat. Uh, I think some helpful follow up from the state house, uh, in the communications office and their intergovernmental office, uh, reaching out and trying to help out and offer some clarity. Uh, it, we, we finally got this sorted out, but what we're left with is kind of a tricky puzzle. What the governor is basically saying is, I, as the governor of the state, have special authority to react to an emergency. Mm-hmm. And when I did so last spring, I embedded in the things I said, like, these are going to be the new state standards, but the counties can be more rigid if they want to. Mm-hmm. And that was basically him exercising state authority. Now, what he's basically said this week is since I'm, you know, working backwards from most of the things we're doing at the state level, I'm also pulling back the granting of state authority basically handing that off to the counties to go further if they want to. Right. So on first blush, that sounds like you can't do anything more. But the reality is 
county governments, particularly those with home rule, and we don't want to have a 45-minute sidetrack on county structure of government, but the bigger counties all have this concept of home rule through their county charter, including the city of Baltimore. So they've got inherent local authority to act to preserve the safety and health of their residents, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's already an authority they have. So Baltimore City, Prince George's County, Anne Arundel County probably didn't need that state authority to do stuff. It was helpful to have the clarity from the governor, but they didn't need the authority to do something beyond the state. So I guess what this means is if you're a county that was relying on the governor's order to to impose these restrictions that are the same as the state locally – you sort of are detached from that now. You can't do that anymore. Right. Counties can still take local action if they have that authority. It doesn't wipe that out. Right. But if you were attaching yourself to what the governor was doing at the state level, yeah. that drops off now. Yeah, I think I think that's about it. So you know, if you're a county attorney in a jurisdiction that felt like you weren't ready to go as rapidly as the state, then you're probably looking back at the document that your county council signed off on or that your executive issued or your, even your health officer issued, and you're looking back and saying, does this have like a preamble clause that says, you know, because the governor is doing A, then here, you know, therefore we're going to do B. And if you did that, you might need to rewrite it and reauthorize it. But you need to do that pretty quick. You have to do it quick because the governor's actions take effect on Friday. So basically, if you're listening to this podcast on Friday evening or afterward, uh, this is all in the rearview mirror and the, you know, the, the jurisdictions have, will have had their, you know, whatever, 72 hour window to sort out what they want to do locally. From where we are on Thursday afternoon, it sounds like it will be multiple jurisdictions sticking with the statewide plan and a handful who are looking at their caseloads and saying we're not quite ready. So through whatever the local process, I think we'll get it sorted out. But it was uh, a tumultuous uh, day or two and a lot of folks uh, referring back to, you know, principles of government and looking at old cases and saying what the heck's going on. Yeah, Tuesday afternoon was a lot going on. (laughs) So I agree, though, things are looking up generally, Michael. We are getting shots in arms. We're going to start getting people back out without capacity limits. And the more people that we can get vaccinated, obviously, the faster we can get back to, to some sense of, of normalcy. And, and I'm, everybody's eager to do that, especially when the weather yeah. is like it is today, right? You can just see people are really eager to get out yep. and get some sun, right? Yep. So. And I'm, I'm, I'm part of that contingent as well. All the, all the opening jokes aside and so forth. Uh, it is a beautiful day to be down in Annapolis and so forth. So that's good. We're, yep. we're, we, we kind of had it coming. We had it coming. All <laughs> right. So let's shift gears a little bit, uh, to the General Assembly. And you mentioned earlier last week, we teased that we would talk about some important dates ahead and what they mean and why they're so significant. Obviously, Michael, the big one is crossover, and I want to get into crossover a little bit. It is coming up March 22nd, the 69th day of session. And Michael, I mean, explain a little bit what crossover means, why there's so much talk about crossover, why it's so significant, why people like us are really, really focused on crossover and the days leading up to crossover. Right. So the the term crossover means nothing to you unless you are a denizen of this little game that we all play for 90 days every year uh, as a legislative assembly session. But if you do play this game, or even if you're just a home gamer and listen to the podcast and enjoy that sort of thing, this term means an enormous amount. So you, you already sort of set up the framework, but but basically at this time of year, when we're into the month of 
March, and I don't know exactly what day we are on the calendar, but you're into the 50-somethingth day and the 60-somethingth day. Everybody is starting to count backwards from this crossover date. And informally, it's not it's not ironclad, and not many things in a process right. like this are. Right. So it's more art than science. But if you haven't gotten your ship in order you are probably not going to leave port. And that's that's really the short version, is that every committee in the General Assembly knows that it's your job to take the things that you plan to pass, get them out onto the floor, and get them passed out of your chamber by this crossover mm-hmm, date. Mm-hmm. So that's everybody works backward from that and says, okay, we only have two weeks left, and so let's let's get into voting sessions. Let's clean up the bills we need to amend. Let's go ahead and, and you know vote down the bills that we're comfortable doing that with, and the ones that we need to pass, let's get them out to the floor and get them considered. Right. And of course, with the limited time on the floor, this year, there are a lot of committees that are jammed up right now. And Senate President Ferguson talked about that yesterday. He sort of warned senators that, hey, there are going to be a lot of good bills this year, well thought out bills that just might not make it out just because of the time constraints. Committees are working really hard. I mean, we talked about multiple voting sessions a week. They're meeting multiple times a day. Subcommittees are all over the place meeting, trying to get Mm -hmm. bills moving. But just the restrictions on the floor. And of course, I think that the the gravity of issues that they're dealing with this year took a lot of time and are taking a lot of time. So I think it was pretty evident from his comments yesterday that crossover's coming. We, we don't have much time. And we understand the committees are trying their best, but there are just so many bills jammed up. It's just looking like there's going to be bills that don't make it out that normally might, but it's just a timing issue, right? And it's just right. a, a workload thing. So so if you're a loyal listener, this is going to sound familiar because we've been ringing this bell since back in the summer and autumn. And then into January, as we started seeing more specific announcements for how this session was going to be structured, we always believed that if there's still a health, a public health concern by the time of the session, which we now know there still is an ongoing concern. We're mm-hmm. still masked, we're distanced, and we're being very responsible for the members and the staff and the public, you know, all the stakeholders and so forth. So, okay, we're, we're doing this the right way. But what that means is you, the, the time on the floor of the Senate time on the floor of the house is itself a pinch point. So this is a tough process in an ordinary year. There are always lots of bills that the committee feels like we probably could tidy this up and send it out. Or maybe we could take these two bills and do a work group and turn them into one thing that everybody agrees with. And in the middle of February, there's a lot of talk about we'll get stuff ironed out. And then as crossover looms and gets close, things are super busy and things get lost in the shuffle Mm -hmm. just because of timing in a normal year. But now if the idea of, well, we're on the floor of the house for just a two hour window and then we have to clean things down and take breaks and ventilate and all this sort of stuff, um, that's the right thing to be doing, but that makes it even harder to go into super high gear for a week or two leading up to this important deadline. Right. And that normally is what would happen. I still think they're going to jump even more into high gear as this approaches again. So Mm -hmm. March 22nd is the date to circle on the calendar. 
And really, it is the difference between a, a bill that could be alive or a dead bill. It's not the end of the world. Like you said, nothing here is, is set in stone. Right. But generally, around town, people understand that if your bill is not moved to the opposite chamber by that date, it's in trouble. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's – I mean, that's a – it's more than a rule of thumb. It's it's a correct prediction so often that it's very useful. If you're, if you're a, a lobbyist in town and you're trying to inform your client who doesn't really play this game, well, here's where we are. Our bill needs to pass. Pass by this day, and every, you know the, the your 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 executive vice president who's up in Philadelphia or whatever can kind of understand that right. language. This is the day we want to have things done by. Okay, so everybody works backwards from that, including the committee leadership, and so that's part of why this matters. It's not just it's not just writing on a piece of paper. Everybody understands once you pass that date, game changes. Right. So they're going to be very busy leading up to that date. Multiple voting sessions again. They are. Very, very busy. I think they all want to get out and enjoy that sunshine like we do today, but they are, I know, multiple committees voting as we speak. Michael, the, the other big news, I think fair to say probably the biggest news nationally, mm-hmm. is that the feds came through. And, you know, we wow. have talked about the federal government and its response to COVID. And, you know, I think we can admit the reason why Maryland's economy is holding together is because the federal government injected a lot of money into our economy. They helped with unemployment. They kept people in business. Mm -hmm. But this week, that President Biden, by the time people listen to this, will have signed a massive $1.9 trillion relief package, which includes something we've been long asking for, which is direct and flexible aid to counties and states, right? Across America, every county is going to get direct aid, flexible aid, and same with the states. Now, this does create a lot of questions, Michael, but let's talk a little bit about what is in the bill, why it's so important. And this was not a unanimous decision by any means in Congress. It was a party line and it was, it was super close, right? Right. I think it was, I mean, the specifics were in doubt just day by day. And then on the floor of the Senate, I mean, the dynamics of the United States Senate are, are basically one of a kind right. right they have they have a variety of weird procedures and I, I i don't mind using a term like that but they have a variety of weird procedures and they ended up using this peculiar process of reconciliation meaning a bundle of fiscal issues can be contemplated with just a majority vote and ordinarily you need a 60 member supermajority to get things done in the senate because they've got this filibuster rule and that's mm-hmm, its own mm-hmm, podcast, mm-hmm. right? And there's plenty of people doing that other podcast and I'm, I'm, we would commend you to spend another yes. hour on that. But for, for our purposes, there's a way to do some things by a 50 vote rule, by, by a 50 vote uh, margin, mm-hmm. but it's not easy. And then you end up with rules interpretations about what can and cannot be on that list. And that gives the power for an individual senator to stand up and say, well, I don't like this one piece. And then suddenly the deal's broken. So we knew that the House was going to pass a package that wasn't really in doubt uh, whether the Senate was going to be able to come together to do so. And what might have to come out to make that happen was pretty high drama in the political universe. And it's always been the Senate, right? The House has <laughs> passed bills that have that state and local aid. The Senate's never acted on them or they've done things different. They've stripped that out. It's always been the Senate. The The, the last yeah. election made a lot mm-hmm. of difference in terms of who's mm-hmm. in control. Mm-hmm. And so this bill gets out. Now, we mentioned state and local aid. The bill also has a lot of money for schools to get kids back to reopen. It includes direct checks for everybody. Most most Americans will get 1400 bucks. 
uh, boost in jobless benefits into September. That's a big deal and expands the child tax credit for one year right. as well. So a lot of money in here for testing right. vaccines for right. business. It's a, it's uh, again, $1.9 trillion. Right. And that's, the, I mean, the things that you just rattled off really quickly. I mean, that's some big fiscal policy. Now, a, a lot of this is effectively, like you said, this is the federal government saying we think there's so much pervasive weakness in our current economy because of people's unwillingness to go out and do certain things, to participate in some activities, to go to restaurants, to go to hotels, to travel, and so forth, that we just don't trust the economy on its own. We need the, more than training wheels. We need training wheels and dad. Right, right. right. I mean, and you mentioned yeah. the other day we were talking about this. Yeah, things look great, but how many of these jobs are only there because the feds yeah. are paying people's wages, right? And then right. when that goes away, what happens? So we don't really know. So I think that's the argument of why you need to, right. to pump this money in to make sure we don't just completely fall apart, right? right. So, I mean, that's the general pitch. I mean, uh, setting aside the specifics right. of any one plank in this whole, you know, sort of platform. But the general idea is the economy's not ready yet. And to accelerate the reopening, we need some support for safety and so forth in our schools and and for, for things along those lines. But we know there's a lot of people out of work and, and, and the like. So anyway, a big wave of things at that level. Mm-hmm. This is a county podcast. So, so we should say that one of the things that's here that we've been aching for for months is support for the governments who have really been fighting this fight. The, the feds have the money. Mm-hmm. The feds have flexibility to do basically deficit spending. The, the states, the counties, and the cities don't. Right. It's really as simple as that. So we can, we can raid a reserve fund where we've got a little bit of cash set aside to close a landfill one day or whatever. Mm-hmm. We can we can come up with some money, but the, the, the long and the short of it is the feds needed to be there to back us up. Um, and so, I mean, this support has, has like three levels to it. As I see it, it's going to help replenish what we've already spent. Mm-hmm. We know that in, in Maryland, it's mostly counties have gone out and have done aid to our local businesses, but we had to buy a lot of equipment and so forth for our frontline providers. We're hiring temporary staff to give shots and schedule vaccines and so forth. So, I mean, we're doing all that stuff basically with whatever we can find under the couch cushions. Right. So some of this is like retroactive like that. Others is to continue that we know the next six weeks and maybe six months will be super important as we continue to vaccinate, as we try and educate the people who haven't come and knocked on the door asking for a shot, mm-hmm. um, and then to continue doing testing and tracing. And what about the newest variant? And all those sorts of things are, it's public health, but it's also everybody who's involved in public safety and data and and local planning and so forth. So... All those efforts are important for the next several months, which are going to be critical. Mm-hmm. So we need that too. And and then as we sit and look at our revenue streams, what if there's a dip in the real estate market? What if there, those jobs really don't come back? If we end up with a drop-off in local revenues, 
this gives us a cushion that we wouldn't have had otherwise. All of those are an important part of like doing the right thing on the front lines right now. Right. And, you know, we just had the board of revenue estimates meet this week. And basically we are where we were before the pandemic in terms of where the, where the estimates are, but they make it very clear. The only reason that's the case is because of this influx of federal cash into the economy. Right. So nobody really knows what's going to happen if, and when that dries up and how we respond and how we react, how the economy is it pliable enough to withstand that. We don't know. Right. So this is, it's really important. So the bottom line here, Michael, is that, the state of Maryland is going to receive almost $4 billion in, in, in direct aid. And like you said, it's very flexible. Right. And I think right now there's a lot of heartburn in the General Assembly because this is going to come in. I mean, we, we have a month left in session right. and they're trying to do the budget. And I know that they've delayed some decisions until next Monday as they try to uh, you know unravel yeah. what this means and sort of the rules around what they can do with the money and who gets to spend it. There, the interesting component in the in the federal bill is that essentially you can't use the money to cut taxes, right? right and I think right. that's an interesting it's an interesting uh, entry into the bill. And basically, it's we don't want states to get all this bag of money and then say, well, here's what we're going to do: we're just going to cut taxes. Right. For we're, yeah, we're not we're not doing any services. We're not right. doing any of that COVID stuff. We're going to give it away. We're just we're just going to like cut taxes mm-hmm. and everybody you know everybody take home a bag of money. I mean, okay, so that's that's part of like the intergovernmental relationship between the federal government and the states. And like some of that is par for the course. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't think Maryland was seriously contemplating let's do a billion dollar tax cut no. and like happy days are here again. Right. Yeah, I don't no, think no. that's really what we have in mind because Maryland has made a lot of commitments to help support small businesses and to support the enterprises and tourism and, and families and workers who are, who are, uh, you know, on, on hard times. Like Maryland has done right on the things that you want to see the government deliver on. Uh, the counties have filled in tons of gap uh, uh, gaps on that level. Right. So, so like, I don't think I don't think anyone was saying we're watching you, Maryland. Right, right. <laughs> but still, we're affected by that. So, and like, nothing like this has ever happened. There's no playbook for the General Assembly and the governor for how do you react when this actually shows up from D.C. Uh, so we're we're making it up as we go along. Right, and it's just interesting because as they're trying to figure this out on the fly, you know, any kind of bills that nominally could, you know, decrease somebody's tax burden, they're, they're, they're sort of holding those bills now and saying, well, right. we need to make sure we're not going to get penalized for doing this. So it, it, you're right. There's no playbook. It's interesting to see how this is playing out and unraveling, but it certainly is having an effect on right. bills that they're looking at right now. When it comes to, Michael, what Maryland can do with the money, you mentioned we can yeah. fill in backfill mm-hmm. uh, revenue, right? So we can maybe look at the structural deficit. A lot of it maybe we've created by all the spending and the relief bill that we did. Maryland can address that moving forward. We can we can do a lot of things the state can in terms of, you know, its costs that it's already that have already gone out the door and any kind of lost revenue that they could experience. So there really is a lot on the table. The next question is, though— yeah. Who gets to decide how do we spend the money? Right. Right. Like when this money shows up, if the General Assembly were here, okay. Mm-hmm. But if they're not, right, then, right. then really the governor has a lot of pull and the governor can introduce amendments to the budget. And when they're out of session, right, he can make those changes. But I think there's a lot of interest in the General Assembly to have a hand in yeah. how this money gets spent. So so there is something of a playbook for this. And it's um, 
it's like by comparison to the you know to the to the game that they're about to enter it's sort of a i don't know i don't know pop warner level playbook um some years ago in anticipation of a big cigarette um, settlement from the big tobacco companies, the state through legislation, this is through the general assembly created, I think it was the cigarette restitution fund mm-hmm. and basically said, yeah, if, and when there ends up being a big settlement here, we expect money to come back to the state. And we have a laundry list of things that we think should be the targets for what we do with those revenues. It's going to be a multi-year settlement and blah, blah, blah. So let's create this special non-lapsing fund. And here are the whatever, six or 16 things we want to spend the money on in either these proportions or at least in these priorities. So the general assembly has a history of saying uh, when the windfall arrives, we want to do X, Y, and Z. So sort of fencing right. off the money. Yeah. Right. And, and, I mean, this is, this is, um, the less documented parts of this weird friction between the executive branch and the le- legislative branch in the Maryland Constitution. But the legislature can prospectively say the governor shall do A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. So, um, Looks to me like the window is still open while the legislature's in town. There are a couple bills sitting around mm-hmm. that were along these lines. So the idea of one of those bills suddenly getting written more specifically built around the contours of what's what has just come through Congress – I think that concept is in play, and um, I don't know. A month ago, I'm not sure I would have predicted that. Right, and and, and I don't think you know the general assembly is not trying to railroad the governor. I think they're talking, you know, frequently mm-hmm. about what they both would like to see, you know, the use for this money. Right. So I think they're trying to collaborate. That's why I think some of these decisions are being delayed in terms of what they want to do with the budget, so that they can have more meetings and collaborate on what they would like to see done with the money. But at the end of the day. You're saying the General Assembly pretty much can say you're not going to spend the money on A, B, and C. We only want to spend it on D, E, and F. Yeah, I think I think the the legislature has some authority to do that, um, and and it the whole thing will work best if it comes together in the way you just described. Right. If this ends up being the budget secretary and the fiscal leadership of the administration with the fiscal leadership of the legislature finding common ground and saying, these are the things we want to do. Because remember, I mean, we're just cutting the budget that doesn't even start until this coming July 1 and goes right. through next June. Right. So the governor spends that money by way of supplemental budgets. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the, the chairs of the budget committees in the legislature can't do that. They can't say, well, you know, I got Biden bucks for this. And so let's do a hundred million for this and 40 million for that. They like can't, right now, right? they can't do that. Right. So, um, so this, this probably works best as a collaboration. And if, if you're a fan of that direction, then the idea of legislative leaders saying, let's hit the pause button for a little while and try and untangle some of this stuff. I think you can take that as good news mm-hmm. rather than, oh, we, we've got this all figured out. Yeah, it makes sense. And as you said, there are a few bills sitting around. I expect these talks to continue. And if they break down, maybe those bills do, you know, they, they pull them out of the drawer, dust them off and, yeah. and you know, write some of this into law and, and sort yeah. of restrict where these funds can go. Or or they pass a bill that has everybody on board yeah. and you end up, you know, at the bill hearing, you end up with the budget secretary, Secretary Brinkley shows up and says, 
I think you've struck the right balance and this gives us the latitude to do the things that are most important and these other things we we agree that those should be the top priorities. I mean that's that's the best vision for where we could be whatever, you know, 2 weeks from now or they're, yeah. thereabouts and, around that uh, you know those magic hours of uh, crossover time. Yeah, and I think 90% is going to be agreement, maybe even higher than that. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. optimistic, but there's always going to be some wrenches thrown into right. this, right? Okay. So naturally. We'll have to see, but anyway, so that's that's a big deal, Michael. There's a lot of money that's coming to states and to local governments. That's that's what we've been asking for. You want to go out and celebrate and sing karaoke? I get it. It's nice out. Celebrate. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, you're advising you, against. I'm advising against that, but you know, you can certainly <laughs> enjoy the weather. But anything else before we wrap it up today and let you run out and you know do whatever you're gonna do? Just keep your mask on. Right. Uh, yeah. I got, okay, I got the mask. I'm a double masker. I'm on that. I'm that guy. So I'm 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 ready to responsibly enjoy some nice weather. And, uh, you know, I will say also looking at the headlines this week, I think we've made some mistakes. You know, we've, we've kind of made some jokes about, um, you know, having the, the subscriber only version of the podcast or the only fans channel or that sort of stuff. And that's been a har, 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 but we've been, we've been aiming way too low. Okay, I read about, I read about the artist releasing this work of art created like a month ago as a non fungible token and be, you know, generating millions, millions of dollars. So I'm thinking we were aiming too low. So, so stay tuned Conduit Street podcast listeners for the NFT version of the podcast, which will be available only for those of you who deal in like Bitcoin and Ethereum and that kind of stuff. We're going to go high tech blockchain. We're going to bring in a lot of tech experts and uh, this is, this thing's going to blow up. I'm yep, feeling it. Because we have all the time in the world right now to do NFTs and you know, but hey, it's worth it. I agree with you. So we'll see. But anyway, we'll leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>